modernized cars. First of all, it's painted red with cream trim around the windows. The second thing they did was they gave every route a number, and they put the number in a big box up on the roof so passengers could see it blocks away. So of course the number five there would denote that this is a Robson car. This third thing they did was they put heaters into them for the very first time. Prior to that they had no heaters, so the passengers would freeze in the wintertime. So they started putting electric heaters into them. And last but not least, they put in doors. Because prior to that the streetcars had no doors. And if you look at the last streetcar in the row heading up the other direction, you can see the conductors looking out the back over a set of wire gates, about waist-high wire gates. So they took those out and they began putting doors into them in, in the 1920s. This picture, incidentally, as you probably know, was taken at uh, Hastings and Columbia Street, looking up the hill toward Main Street, the Ford Building and the Balmoral Hotel and everything there. Notice the Vancouver policeman directing traffic, because there's no traffic lights there. And uh, the Vancouver police still wearing the British, the Bobby-style helmet, which the Vancouver City Police wore up until 1930, wore the British Bobby-type uniform. Now here we are painted red and cream, which I say they started painting in the 1920s. The interurbans were all painted dark green too, and they got painted red at the same time. So this is probably how you best remember them, around the red colors. I'll just give you a quick uh, tour around the streetcar lines. Um, here we are at Granville Street. You'll probably recognize this. Again, it hasn't changed much, except the traffic's a bit heavier today, but you can see the, the post office at the end of the street there, and way at the very end of the line, the big archway with the big letters CPR that took you down to the ferries that took you to Victoria and Nanaimo, right across the bottom, bottom of Granville Street. There's the Marine Building, as you can see, at the end of Hastings Street. Streetcar coming towards you is on the number one Fairview, or the Beltline as it was known. And the Fairview streetcars went along Hastings Street, up Main Street, across Broadway, and back down Granville. They went around in a circle. So the motormen and conductors used to refer to them as either the Fairview Inner or the Fairview Outer, depending on which way around the loop you were going, clockwise or counterclockwise. But it was officially known as the Beltline. Here's the number seven fraser Carisdale line. This is at the very end of the line at Fraser and Marine Drive with the car wide on, or backed up or wide on Marine and then headed back down Fraser Street. So if you know that area, that nice farmyard and field and house you see on the right-hand side there would be the Blue Boy Hotel today. So you can picture mm -hmm. that at Fraser. This is uh, going up Dunbar, around the diversion at 16th and Dunbar, heading on down towards 41st <laughs> Avenue, which was the end of the Dunbar streetcar line. Here's a car on the number 14 Hastings East, just crossing Carroll Street, heading out toward Boundary Road. You can see the Army and Navy store, and you see Pigeon Park there. It's got grass in it in those days. Now, it's got grass in it today, but that's real grass it had in those days. A little bit further on out the Hastings East line, just crossing the Raymer, the, uh, Raymer Viaduct here at Hastings and Raymer. You can see the sugar refinery in the background there. The interesting thing about this picture is the building you see on the lower left side there, just behind the streetcar, that cream-colored building that says Alex Gare on the roof, wow. looks exactly the same today. Same color, same neon sign, everything's still there. Even the awning's still there. I don't think it's changed a bit. This is the other end of the 14 line going up to Dunbar, and here we are crossing the old Randall Street Bridge, which was very similar to the old Canby Bridge. They were almost identical. The interesting thing in this photograph is if you look in the distance, away beyond the front of the streetcar, away in the distance, you can just make out the big BC Electric gas tank, which stood in their Carroll Street yards, was, was quite a landmark on the city skyline for many years, the huge gas tank. This is the end of the Main Street line at 50th and Main, where the number three line ended, and it backed or wide into 50th Avenue and then pulled out and headed back downtown again, all the way down Main Street. 
this is probably the best remembered car line in the mall. This is the number 17 Oak, and it was known as the Tunerville Trolley. Now, the Oak Street, had anybody here used to ride the Oak Street car or remember it at all? There was one gentleman did anyway. Oak Street is really well remembered because uh, it was one of the longest lines in the city. It went from downtown to Victory Square, went up Canby and across Broadway, and then all the way down Oak Street to Marple. What made Oak Street interesting was from about 16th Avenue, which was the original border of the city of Vancouver. Once you crossed 16th, you were into South Van, which was a separate municipality. From there all the way down to Marple was single track down one side of the road, and about every half dozen blocks there would be a little passing siding. And at each passing siding on a little box on the telephone pole, they kept a long piece of wood, wooden dowel, known as the staff. So the, the motorman on the car would take the staff in his hand and he'd head down the line and we'd meet the streetcar coming the opposite direction in the passing siding and he'd reach out his window and pass the staff over to the motorman going the other direction. So then that fellow could get out onto the main line. So it was very simple. If you didn't have the staff in your hand, you couldn't go out onto the main line. You had to wait in the passing track so for the other streetcar to come down. So that way they avoided ever meeting each other head on. And they ran like that right up until the 1950s. You can picture this. Now, I, I should be honest with you and tell you that that didn't always work. I mean, it was great in theory, but in practice, I was talking to a fellow here a couple of months back that was a motorman on the Oak Street line, and he was telling me that uh, quite often he'd leave Marpole around 7 o'clock in the morning heading downtown Vancouver, and he'd get up around Park Drive or so, and there'd be no streetcar coming down, and there'd be no staff, so he'd have to sit and wait. And all those passengers would start saying, come on, Mac, geez, we're going to be late for work. And they're all tapping their watches. Come on, come on, come on, come on. So this fellow was quite a baseball fan. So he would turn around to the passengers and he'd say, well, any of you folks here baseball fans? Do you think we should try steal the base? And everybody would yell and whistle and stamp their feet. And, Let's go. So wind up the controller and out on the main line and slickety split, rattle, shake, and roll, and see if you can get to the next passing track before the streetcar came the other way. And quite often, you wouldn't make it. You'd meet each other about halfway in between. When that happened, there was only one solution. Everybody piled off both streetcars and they traded cars. They flipped all the seats over and off they went in the other direction again. <laughs> of course, the poor old motorman, he'd wind up back in the barn with a different car than he'd been assigned that morning and the supervisor would know exactly what he was up to. But at any rate, that's, that's the Tunerville trolley that everybody referred to. 1939, uh, BC Electric bought their first ultra-modern streamlined streetcar known as a PCC car. And these were very light cars. They had nice padded leather seats in them, and they were smooth and comfortable and very speedy. And the passengers just loved them. They were the most comfortable thing they'd ever ridden in. And BC Electric very quickly decided, that's it. We're going to get rid of all the old wooden streetcars that we built back in the turn of the century. We're going to buy hundreds of these new modern streetcars. But of course, as you know what happened in 1939, the war started. And Canadian Car and Foundry that built these cars stopped and started building Jeeps or tanks or whatever they built all during the war. So unfortunately, BC Electric was only able to get 36 of these cars instead of the several hundred that they would have liked to have gotten. But, uh, Toronto got several hundred of these, and as a matter of fact, they're still running to this very day. They're still operating Toronto. So much to BC Electric's credit, due to the fact that they couldn't get new streetcars, they decided they would start again modernizing their old streetcars and try and make them like the new streetcars, make them nice and comfortable and stuff. So one by one, they began taking them into their main shops down underneath the Burrard Street Bridge there known as the Kitsilano Shops, and they would rip out all these old wooden seats like you see here. You probably remember these wooden seats because they would crease your pants if you rode in them for more than a couple of blocks. Or a lot of them had wicker seats, and of course the wicker would always split and stick you in the back when you sat down on it. Anyway, they'd rip out all these old seats, and they'd put in nice modern seats with lots of padding and extra rows of lighting and new flooring and paint them all up and make them as modern and as comfortable as they could. 
they only got about a third of them done like this, and then they just got so busy during the war that they couldn't couldn't have time to do any more. But they did about a third of them. Another thing they did during the war was, of course, they brought ladies on the job for the very first time because most of the young men were overseas. So we have our first conductorettes beginning in 1943. And again, another fact that not too many people know, but believe it or not, of course, in 1943, nobody had ever heard things like women's lib or burn your bra or anything along those lines. But BC Electric, in fact, was one of the first companies in Canada that paid ladies the same wages as men because they did the same job. And that was virtually unheard of at that time. So. 1945, the war ended, and it was time to get on and forget the past and the depression and the war and get on to modern times, and it was time for a new new, uh, new image. So we began painting everything cream and coming out with the new BC Electric symbol, which was a little red Thunderbird with the letters BCE underneath it. They started to paint the streetcars and then decided, no, we're going to get rid of them all, so we're not going to paint them up. So there was only about four of them that got painted in this cream color scheme, and here's one of them at uh, Columbia and Hastings. Incidentally, the yellow lines you see painted on the street there with the little bumps on it, that's the safety island, as it's called. And of course, that's where passengers had to stand to wait for the streetcar, because the streetcar doesn't pull into the curb to pick you up. So you stood out there, and the bumps were to protect you in the fog from some motorist running you down. So Vancouver certainly had fog in those days, believe me. Anyway, we began converting a massive program called the Rails to Rubber program to convert the streetcars over to buses, and one by one, each streetcar line got converted over to buses. They usually had a little ceremony at the end of each line, and of course, here we have the last run of the famous Tunerville trolley, the last run of the Oak Street car, with a bunch of decorated cars, and all the old-timers out for a last ride. The uh, character you see on the front there, by the way, is BC Electric's little advertising character, and he was known as Reddy Kilowatt. He appeared on all their bills and all their advertising gimmicks. With his light bulb nose and his plug ears. There was actually a couple of electric companies across Canada that copied this. Winnipeg copied and they had a ready kilowatt there as well. So finally the last day came and that was the 24th of April 1955. The last line was the Hastings line that went up to the new Kootenay Loop now and of course it was only the PCC cars that were left. So on that day, which was a Sunday, the BC Electric gave everybody free rides. They printed a very special issue of the buzzer, which was about 20 pages long and had pictures of all the early days of streetcars. And they had a big ceremony out at the P&E and speeches by the mayor and everything and said goodbye to the faithful old streetcars and that was basically the end of it. So here we have all the tracks being ripped up and one of the new modern buses coming down the background there. So that was 65 years of streetcar service. Now, I'm sure a lot of you folks here tonight remember these and uh, remember the Tunerville trolleys and remember all the wooden seats and stuff like that, but what I find when I talk about streetcars in Vancouver, there's one car that everybody remembers, and that is this one. Oh. Some of you probably thought I forgot about it, right? Yeah. This is the famous BC Electric's world famous observation cars. And there was two of them, the 123 and the 124. And this is the 124 in this photograph, sitting down by Victory Square. And here's the other one, here's the 123 down at Stanley Park in the loop. These cars would run every year. They started in 1908 and they ran right up until the 1950s when most of the track was gone. And every year from May to September they would give you a two hour sightseeing tour around the city. The people in Vancouver used to refer to them as the rubberneckers. Because everybody would sit on these raised seats and you would get a rubberneck tour. In cold weather they'd give you a big Hudson Bay blanket and you'd wrap yourself up and off you'd go for a two hour sightseeing tour around the city. What made the cars really so famous was not only the tour and of course the beauty of the city, but the two conductors that worked on them every summer for all the years that they ran. There was two fellows that worked on these cars. 
The first fellow was a fellow by the name of Dick Gardner. And Dick was actually a magician. So when he wasn't working on the streetcar, he used to do floor shows at the old Marco Polo Club and stuff like that. But for the whole two hours that you'd be on Dick's car, he'd pull rabbits out of hats and he'd do card tricks and he'd stick balls up his sleeve and all that sort of stuff. And he'd entertain everybody for, for the whole trip. The other fellow that's probably even better remembered is Teddy Lyons. And Teddy was a comedian. At least I guess he called himself a comedian. But for the whole two-hour tour on Teddy's car, you would get a non-stop monologue of jokes. So you'd start off, for example, and he'd say, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome on board the car here. And if you look off to your left, you see that seagull perched on the wall over there? That's Gertrude. That's Vancouver's richest seagull. Came by here the other day, saw her making a deposit on a new cattle. <laughs> on the right-hand side here, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Hudson Bay store. Came down here last week, and you know, a man fell off the roof, and he fell six floors, and he landed on the tracks right in front of our car, and he got up and walked away. Just bought a fall suit in the men's department. <laughs> and then he would turn around and he said, do you folks like my tie pin? You see my tie pin? My mother-in-law died last week, left me 200 bucks to buy a nice stone. So what do you think of this? Isn't this really nice? <laughs> Up on South Granville Street, he used to point out one of the big houses and he'd say, now ladies and gentlemen, that house over there has got nine kitchens in it. Nine kitchens in that house. And then later on, when people went up and knocked on the door, Mr. and Mrs. Kitchen and their six kids would say, get out of here. You know, <laughs> the other thing that Teddy used to do, and was quite well known, was he had arrangements made with little groups of little school kids, little five and six and seven-year-old children that would stand on street corners all around Vancouver, and he would stop the car, and all the kids would sing songs for the passengers, sing hymns, and, you know, Jesus loves me and stuff. And the passengers would throw nickels and pennies to the kids and stuff. A lot of those kids made more money than their dads did. Anyway, that's, that's the observation card. The last fellow that's probably just as well remembered actually didn't work for the BC Electric, but he was a photographer at his own studio in town, a fellow by the name of Bullen, Harry Bullen. And he started off way back in the 1920s with an arrangement he'd worked out with Teddy and Dick where he had his camera set up in the second floor of the Dodson Hotel down on Hastings and Carroll Street. Now, the observation car would come along and the motorman would stop at a little paint spot on the street that he, that he made. And Teddy and Dick would turn to the passengers and they'd say, now folks, look up at the second floor of the Dodson Hotel there. See the glass in those windows? That glass was imported from Mongolia. It's the only Mongolian window glass you'll see anywhere in Vancouver. So of course, everybody look up to see this Mongolian glass, right? Bullen would snap a photograph and off the car would go. Bullen had very quickly developed the negative. He had his dark room all set up in the hotel. Figure out how many passengers were on the car and make up a bunch of prints. Now by this time, the observation car would have gone out through Point Grey and gone its way up Dunbar and Caresdale and stuff. Bullen would jump on his bicycle and then head into downtown Vancouver and meet the car as it came back. And he would drop the photographs off in the little box the fellows would hang over the back when nobody was looking. As soon as the tour ended, before anybody could escape, Teddy or Dick would lift all these photographs out of this box and say, now who wants to buy a souvenir photograph of yourself here on the observation car? They sold these photographs for about a buck. And there's literally thousands of them all over the world. I've run across dozens and dozens of them. They're all the same. They're about three inches high and they're about 11 inches long. There's photographs of the observation car. Anybody here got one at home somewhere? That one lady does. There you go. So you looked at the Mongolian glass, I guess, eh? <laughs> anyway, that's the streetcar story. Oh, are anybody getting bored? Shall we no, carry on here? Okay, we also have the other arm of the BC Electric, of course, which was the Interurbans. Now, if you worked on the Interurbans, you weren't one of these trolley pushers they used to refer to the streetcar fellows as. You were a railroad man. 
The interurbans in the very early days, most of them were also built by the BC Electric in their shops in Westminster, but in the very early days they were very, very fancy because this was the deluxe way to travel. So instead of being painted, they were all varnished, like you can see in this picture here. This picture was taken about 1904. They were all varnished, great big cow catchers on the front of them, as you can see. And every interurban, they didn't have a number on them, they had a name. Each car had a name. And that's the name you would see about halfway down the car there on the side, just below the windows, a big plaque. That would be the name of this car. And each car was named after a different town or municipality around the Lower Mainland. So you had cars named the Chilliwack and the Sardis and the Burnaby and the Richmond and all that sort of stuff. Nice stained glass windows in them. And mohair seats covered with dark green crushed velvet except the mohair got infested with fleas and all the passengers would get bitten as they rode in the car. So they eventually ripped the mohair out and put wicker in them because fleas don't live in wicker, so we rode in wicker seats from that point on. But anyway, very, very fancy cars in the very early days. This is the original depot in New Westminster, um, which stood down on Columbia Street, about halfway between 8th and Begbie, and the, the interurbans would pull into the one side there and the ticket office and waiting room was on the other side. I refer to them as interurbans, but most people around the Lower Mainland referred to them as trams because of the old tramway company. So they talked about either the streetcars or the trams. So the trams would be the interurbans. Here's another photograph of New Westminster, about 1905 or so, with one of the big trams heading into Vancouver. Pulled out of the depot about halfway down the photograph there. The original line actually took you right up 12th Street to Edmonds, behind the back of Burnaby South High School and down into Vancouver. And in 1910, they opened up the new line that took you a little bit further to the west down around Connaught Hill. It wasn't quite as steep as going down 12th Street. But at this time, the, the trams used to go up and down the 12th Street Hill. You can see the old Merchant's Hotel on the left-hand side, of course, is long gone. That was later Mac and Mac Hardware, and it's the Sally Ann store today. But the CPR station on the right-hand side is still there. Of course, that's the Keg restaurant now. Here we are. This is right, at, right behind Metro Town Shopping Center now in Burnaby. In the very early days, again, one of the big trams heading into Westminster on the Central Park line. 1910, they bought some interurbans from the Ottawa Car Company, as it was called, and brought them out to uh, Vancouver. And the Ottawa cars, the BC Electric found, had train doors, or doors cut in either end of them, and couplers, so they could couple them together and make trains of two or three of them. And BC Electric thought, this is a marvelous idea. So they brought all their old cars back into the shops and took the big cow catchers off them and put doors and couplers on them so they could couple them all together. The other thing they started doing in 1910 was they ran out of towns to name them after, so they did away with that and started giving them numbers from that point on. So the streetcars were all numbered in the hundreds, so the interurbans became numbered in the thousands. And here we have tram number 1009 sitting behind the, uh, the depot on uh, Front Street in Westminster. 1912, the St. Louis cars showed up from the St. Louis Car Company in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, known as the Steel Cars, or the 1200s. And they quickly became kind of the utility car of the fleet. They ran just about on all the lines. Again, painted a very dark green. And this photograph, I threw it in because this is one of the only survivors today. Car 1223 is in Burnaby's Heritage Park today on display in there, or at least what's left of it. It's not in very good shape, but it's, it's one of the only survivors, this particular car. Now just to take you for a quick ride on the interurbans, uh, of course if you went out to New Westminster you'd go down to the, uh, to the depot here at Carroll and Hastings Street, which was also BC Electric's head office of course above that, and you would go into the depot and you'd buy your ticket and <coughs> when the time came, out the train would go and it ran on the city streetcar tracks out East Hastings and Campbell Avenue, Venables, 
down commercial. Here we have uh, two of the big trams coming down commercial drive, about sixth and commercial, all the way down commercial drive like this. And up past Buffalo Park, as it was officially known at one time, at 14th and commercial. And then at that point, they went on to private right away, and then highballed her from here all the way out to Newsminster. So off the city streets and onto the private line. And here was the first little station on the Central Park line known as Cedar Cottage after a little nursery that used to be there many years ago. And you, you can just see the station in the extreme right-hand side of the picture there. You can see the little shelter. So further on out the line, Cedar Cottage Station, etc., on out. And uh, here we are just crossing Smith Avenue, just about to come into Central Park Station at Kingsway. So the station away in the background there is Park Avenue at Foundry Road. And the station beyond that is Collingwood East. And there's a real interesting story behind that because when that station first opened, the first housing around that area was known as Collingwood, and they called the station Collingwood. And then as the housing began to spread, they built a new station a few blocks further west than that at Rupert Street, and they took the name Collingwood off the station at Joyce Road. Joyce, by the way, was one of the old school trustees and one of the engineers in the area. They took the name off the station at Joyce Road, and they renamed it Joyce, and they put the name Collingwood on the new station down at Rupert. Well, the people at the old Collingwood, they didn't like this one damn bit. So they went down in the middle of the night and ripped the name off the station, brought it back to their station, and nailed it back up again. They said, we're Collingwood Station, not these new guys down the road at Rupert Street. So the people at Rupert Street, they said, well, bugger you guys. They went back the next night, ripped the name back down again, took it back to their station, and nailed it up. So the third night, all the people from Joyce Road go back down to rip it back down again. Only this time, the people from Rupert Street are waiting for them with their shovels and their pickaxes and stuff just about get into a big fight. At any rate, sanity prevailed, so both groups of people the next morning went down to see Mr. Sperling, the manager of the BC Electric, to complain about this, and Sperling, being using the wisdom of Solomon, said, we can fix that for you. You'll be calling it east, you'll be calling it west. That's how those stations got their names. There you go. Anyway, further on out the line again, this is at Edmonds. And if you're familiar with the SkyTrain at all, the Edmonds Street SkyTrain station is built right where this picture is taken, right where these two trams are, just at the top of the Connaught Hill. And right down Connaught Hill, along Stewartson Way, past the great big barn here at the bottom of 12th Street, which was where a lot of these cars were originally built, and then into the great big new depot, which was built in 1910, at the foot of 8th and Columbia Street. And that was the end of the Central Park line. And this building, of course, is still standing. It was later, it was for many, many years, it was Wasp's store, and now it's the Value Village, or Value Mart, or something they call it. It's all been rebuilt and all covered over, but it's, it's still the same building. It's still there today. So that's the number one line, Central Park one. The number two line was the Lulu Island. And the Lulu Island line started in 1905. It was built by the CPR and then taken over by the BC Electric. And if you went out to Lulu Island in 1905, you would go across the Granville Bridge to the south side. And here was this beautiful big station, which was actually written up as the most beautiful railroad station in Canada when it was built, built up on a great big platform above the water of False Creek at the south end of the Granville Street Bridge. And you would buy your ticket in the station, get out and get on the tram, and when it came time to go, the tram would pull out of the station, down off the platform and around the corner and head over to the boulevard and then on the way down to, uh, to Richmond. This station survived up until 1922. And then with the change in the rule of the road, the station was suddenly on the wrong side of the bridge now. So at that point, they tore it down, and the Lulu Island train, or the Richmond train, started going across the Granville Bridge, and then went around the block at Davie, Seymour, Granville, and then headed back south again. So 
We were going out to Little Island, you'd go to this old green building here at the corner of Davy and Seymour, which was a station, buy your ticket, get on the train, and off you go. Across the Granville Street Bridge, you can just see two of the big trams kind of framed in the span there, the old Granville Street Bridge. Off the bridge, around the corner of 4th Avenue, over to the West Boulevard, and then all the way down the boulevard. And here you see one of the trams. This is about 25th Avenue in the boulevard. You can just see the big substation at King Edward Avenue in the background. Of course, this track's all still there today. And the $64 million question for the people that live in those houses there is, is SkyTrain going to come down here someday? The answer is nobody knows yet. So, At any rate, down the boulevard, across 41st Avenue, which was the, the main station on the line. 41st Avenue originally was known as Wilson Road, and that was the main crossroad that crossed the track. And in fact, when the BC Electric opened the line, the, uh, the manager at that time of the interurban line turned to his wife and said, Dear, I'm going to give you the honor of naming the station at Wilson Road. You can name it in your honor. So she named it after a little town in southern Ireland that she was born in known as Carey's Dale. Two separate words, Carey's Dale. And that was the name of the station. It kind of all got run together, of course, as Carysdale, but it's officially, its proper name is Carey's Dale. Two words. Anyway, through Caresdale, on down, past McGee and all the stations down there. Here we are at 64th Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. And finally down to Marpole Junction. And there was a great big station at Marpole with a coffee shop and a newsstand and so on. And from this point, you could either take the tram to Westminster along the Fraser River, or you could carry on out to Lulu Island. So if you went out to Lulu Island, you'd leave, leave Marpole, you'd cross the river, just below the Oak Street Bridge, like you can see in this photograph here. And then you would head right straight south in Richmond, and if you drive your car down Garden City Road today, you know Garden City is a boulevard, it's two divided road, because one side used to be the interurban line, that's why it's a divided boulevard. Down Garden City and around the corner of Granville Avenue and across number three road, and here was the main station in Richmond known as Brick House, right where you cross number three road, named after the big Brick House racetrack that used to be just where those trees are in this photograph, which is now where the Richmond Municipal Hall and stuff is. Sad part about all this is I was showing, I have uh, dozens of slides on the Richmond line, which I don't have with me tonight. But I took them all out here a couple of months ago and I was showing them to a group of grade 12 history students in Richmond High School, telling them about the interurban line. And I was surprised that a whole bunch of these grade 12 kids had never heard the name Brighouse. That's name sort of disappearing in history. In fact, some of these kids had never heard of Richmond referred to as Lulu Island. They didn't know what I was talking about when I said Lulu Island, so. Anyway. <coughs> Past Brick House, around the corner at Grand Road Railway Avenue, and then from here it was all the way down to Steveston. And of course, dead straight track, very flat land, very few houses. So late at night, boy, the motorman would just wind this thing right up and you'd hit 60 and 65 miles an hour heading to Steveston. Down that track with everything rocking and swaying and creaking and passengers holding on for dear life, praying you wouldn't leave the tracks. But I'm not, I'm not aware that any of them ever did leave the tracks. But the people in Steveston, they were the only people that I know of that used to refer to the interurbans as the Red Rockets. So obviously for very good reason. And finally right down to Moncton Avenue, and here, similar to what we talked about earlier, at the end of the line, all the seats would be flipped over and back we'd head to Vancouver again. So that's the end of the line, end of the end of the line. This line incidentally ran right up until 1958 when the Oak Street Bridge opened. That was the end of it. So one of the last interurban lines running in North America. The number four line, and it's virtually all disappeared, was known as the Burnaby Lake. And the Burnaby Lake car came out of the uh, out of the Carroll Street Depot. Again, came out Hastings and commercial, just like the Central Park tram. And then at Sixth Avenue, the Burnaby Lake car swung off to the east. And you can, this is what this car is doing. It's just about to turn left and head east. It's 
swung around at 6th Avenue and almost actually went right around in a curve, like almost doubled back on itself and went across Victoria Drive up to 1st <coughs> Avenue and then went straight out 1st <coughs> Avenue. So again, if you can picture driving your car along 1st Avenue today, you'll know that 1st Avenue again is a divided boulevard. That's because one half used to be the interurban line, the other half was the roadway. Down across at Burnaby and then straight out through the center of Burnaby and just about all of the freeway today through the middle of Burnaby is built over top of the Burnaby Lake interurban. So the whole freeway right away is the old Burnaby Lake line. This is an interesting photograph. This is just at Horn Payne Station, which was one of the main stations on the Burnaby Lake Line. And this is right at Boundary and First Avenue. So if you can picture those houses away in the distance being at First and Rupert, the trams just come down. And this is about where you drive your car up onto the freeway now, First and Boundary, right where that tram is sitting. So this area has changed quite a bit. As I say, Horn Payne is a big station there right at Boundary Road. And then finally right out into Sapperton at Braid Street, which was the end of the Burnaby Lake Line, and at that point you changed and came back into Vancouver, or you transferred onto a bus and you headed down into Newsminster. So that's the end of the Burnaby Lake Line. This is all covered with houses today. There's not a trace of there ever being a track through there. Not a trace. District 3, the Fraser Valley Line. Opened in 1910 and closed to pass.